right, um, last Sunday, by way of review, I'll just give a quick review. You know, I made the comment that the Apostle Paul boasted in the cross. He said, I'm not putting my confidence in my strength or my ability, but I'm putting my confidence in the cross. And we, last week, we kind of unpackaged that. What does it mean to boast in the cross? We said it means at least three things. And there were three F's that we gave. The first F was that it means we've been forgiven. How many of you are grateful that your sins have been washed away because of Jesus Christ? They're not held against us any longer, which means the guilt and the shame that rob us from confidence in God have already been dealt with. And I just want to say this. If you're here today and you're in Christ Jesus, you've submitted your life to him, and you're still walking around with guilt or shame, uh, those are some areas that God wants to deal with. And I would encourage you as that inner healing class gets offered again to go get those areas untangled because God's word is very clear that whatever shameful things were done to you or done by you in the past, that the cross and the blood washes all that clean. And how many of you know having a clean conscience before God and a clean conscience before one another is, is foundational to having confidence with God in the way that we, we walk and having faith in God? So how many of you know God's already dealt with guilty conscience and he's already dealt with the, the problem of our lack of relationship with him and now we're close and now the relationship is, is marked by peace. God's not angry at you. There's peace. There's reconciliation. This is great news, isn't it? You can all just let out a, a sigh of relief today. You're not going to stand before the judgment seat of God uh, someday wondering whether or not you're going to hell. Uh, Christ has paid the way. You're forgiven. Uh, end of story. Finished. This is good news. But it gets better because you're not just forgiven, but the Bible says you've been made free. And this is better. You're not a slave to sin. I heard testimony after testimony today. Hey, five years ago, in fact, the young man that shared he was a drug addict five years ago, his mother shared that she was an alcoholic five years ago. And guess what? They're back hugging and crying and celebrating the fact that Jesus not only forgives our sins, he breaks the power of our sin so we don't have to live like that any longer. You know, the devil likes to rub your nose in the filth and the shame. And, uh, and, but Jesus says, no, I'm not only going to forgive you, I'm going to pick you up, I'm going to clean you, and I'm going to break the chains off your life. So listen, if you haven't yet moved into freedom, I'm telling you that's part of your confidence in God. Because again, you, you can't come before the Lord all wrapped up in chains and have confidence before him. Because again, you're not free and you know you're not free and you're still trapped in the same cycle of sin. But the cross breaks the power of sin. And once those chains fall off, guess what you can do in the presence of God? You can say, thank you, Father. I am free. Thank you, Lord, for setting me free. That's part of why we worship. What do we do? There's no chains on these arms anymore. We're doing this in our worship. Everybody know what I'm talking about? We're lifting up holy hands before the Lord because we're no longer trapped by sin. And I said the third thing that happened as a result of the cross is that the favor of God rests upon you. What is the favor of God? The blessing of God, the provision of God, the full resources of heaven are ours because we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. This is great news. And this is the logic of heaven. If God Almighty, who loves his dearly beloved son, but who was willing to offer him as a sacrifice for my sin and for your sin, if God did the hardest thing, then what else is there for us to ask that would be any harder than that? If God was not unwilling to give his son, the Bible says, how will he not with Jesus Christ freely, freely give us everything that we need? Everything that we need for what? 
everything that we need for life and godliness, which means this, whatever you need to get through this life and to be like Jesus, Christ has already provided it for you. Get it. So here's the prayers that we don't have to pray anymore. Oh God, would you please, you know, do such and such. Oh God, would, could, would you please give me your favor? Ever since the cross, guess what is on you right now by your identity? Favor. You are favored. You are blessed. That's who you are. You have been everything provided for you by God. Walk in the full provision of the cross. So here's what I do. I come before the Lord in my prayer life. I thank the Lord for forgiving me. I thank the Lord for freeing me from the things that used to enslave me. And then I thank God that his favor rests upon me. Now we're ready to do business. Okay, two of you are awake. The rest of you are thinking. A couple of you are, I've already put to sleep. God help us. This is good news, folks. This is called the gospel. It means you don't go through life like someone who doesn't know God from a hole in the ground. You have an unfair advantage in life because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But I want to get in today to something even deeper because out of, our, out of the cross also flows a new identity. And I want to talk to you today about being loved to life and how knowing what God thinks about us is the foundation for holy swagger. It's the foundation for confidence with God in this life. And, and I, I want to drive this home again. I could not be getting more practical than I am right now. This message is a message for believers. It's also a message if you don't know Christ, you're going to get something out of this today too because there's, there's hope for you. But listen to me. This is one of those messages that helps you learn how to walk, how to live, how to practice the gospel for the rest of your life. This is a, it's about as practical as I can get today. So let's talk a little bit about what I'm calling cross-shaped identity. Cross-shaped identity. Here's a, an absolute principle in life, all right? The way that you see yourself shapes your life. I remember hearing a story one time about a man who was watching football on Sunday afternoons, and uh, he noticed e after every play, the team would run back together, and they would get in a huddle. And this man's identity was so bad that he thought that every time they got in the huddle, they were talking about him. That's a joke. All right, anyway... <laughs> Um, he really didn't think that, but some people's identity is so bad that they think if people are together, they're talking about them. If they think, you know, this or that, everything's, they're so insecure and they, they don't know how to handle themselves, it's because what you think about yourself will determine how you behave. It'll literally shape your life. And I've seen this to be true. You literally cannot behave in ways that are different from what you believe to be true about yourself. So I could tell you today, I could tell you, you are forgiven and God's crazy about you, but if you think you're a lousy sinner and God hates you, then guess what will happen? You'll go live like that, and the truth of God's word will have no impact on your life. If you, if you fundamentally believe that God really isn't there to help you, then you, then you will never step out in faith and, real, and trust God because you'll never have enough faith to believe that he really has your back because you really don't believe it. If you don't believe that God heals today, you'll never pray for somebody who's sick because you don't believe God heals. What you believe will shape the way that you behave. And you cannot act differently from what you believe. So we constantly have to have our identity shaped by God and by his word. Now this is important, and I need to say this in our culture today. Our identity is not defined by who we think we are or what we feel about ourselves. I hope that didn't hurt anybody's feelings. That was a joke too. Anyway, your identity is not shaped by what you think about yourself fundamentally or by what you feel about yourself. I know we're living in a strange time. 
If, you feel, if you're a man but you feel like you're a woman, then I guess that you are. If you're, if you're a white person but you feel like an African-American person, then, then you can be that. If you're, uh, what are some other, if you're, if you're really a 45 but you feel like you're a five-year-old, then, then your feelings actually dictate reality. Now, how many of you know that is not true? You're living out of touch with reality because your feelings don't determine reality any more than your feelings about yourself determine reality. We better figure out where our identity comes from, and if it comes from inside of me, I'm in big trouble. You know, when we, <laughs> you can tell what the Johnson family does for cheap fun, all right? Marion talked about raising eight kids. You got to come up with creative ways to have fun. Well, one of the things we did one Christmas was we got the computer out, and, um, and it has one of those screens where you put the different templates on, and like one of them makes your head really big up here and a little tiny chin. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then the next one makes your lower part of your face really big and your head really small. And then you turn sideways and it makes your nose really big and your chin small. Or you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's a myriad of fun ways to experience the distortions of your own face. All right, I'm just telling you. And all you have to do is add my mom to the mix. My mom's practically wetting her pants on every other turn because she's laughing so hard. And you can close the computer and just listen to my mom, just laugh, and that right there is good for the soul. But I think that entertained us one day for probably like two hours on the couch, like, ah, ah. we kept hitting the different things, you know, and all this stuff. And here's my point. If you determine who you are by what you think you are or by what your neighbor thinks you are or by what the media says you are or by how you feel on any given day, it is like you going through all those contortions on your computer, all right? You're, you're going to be a mess. You're not going to have a clue about who you are. And let me lay out some more track here because this is helpful, all right? Our identity is actually defined by what God has done for us and the relationship he creates with us and the calling he's placed on us. That's good. You need to see that again. Our identity is defined by what God has done for us. That's what I talked about last week. And the relationship he's creating, I'm talking about that today, and the calling that he's placed on us. In other words, if God is your creator, then guess who determines who you are? And guess who determines why you're here? And guess who determines what's the purpose for your life? This is why the, the reality of God is so huge, because God is the one who determines these things. And check this out. I'm, I'm, I'm turning everything upside down this morning. God has made you who you are so that you could make known who he is. Amen. We live in a world where everybody's trying to find their, themselves, be themselves. In fact, we encourage people, just be yourself. Well, you can't be yourself until God defines you. And the purpose of life is not for you, not for you to display your awesome self because your awesome self wouldn't even be here if there wasn't an awesome God who created you in the first place. So I am not here so that I can find myself, so that I could become self-fulfilled and I can be all that I was meant to be in my heart. No, I exist and you exist for one reason, to make known who he is and how awesome he is, and I only can do that when I understand who I am created in the image and likeness of God. So God's identity is far more valuable to all of us than our identity. In fact, our identity exists for the sake of making his identity known and enjoyed. Now, the Bible says this. The Bible says that the Bible acts like a mirror. What does a mirror do? It reflects the true us. 
And you know what? We can look in front of a mirror. Maybe you go to the carnival. Again, you can have fun. You know, the things that make you look really wide and really short and all those different things. But when you look in the mirror of God's word, the mirror of God's word is meant to reflect the true condition of our souls and our identity. In fact, look with me on the next verse. This is uh, James chapter 1. Uh, in fact, I'm going to start reading in verse 22. I think I've got verses 23 and 24 up there. But it says this. It says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Can I get an amen on that? Otherwise, the Bible says you're only fooling yourselves. For if a person just listens but doesn't obey, this is what the Bible says. He's like a man looking at his face in a mirror, and as soon as he walks away, he can't see himself anymore or remember what he looks like. So check this out. When we, when we read the Word of God, it's a reflection of the way that we're wired as human beings, our fallen nature, what God has done for us, our new inheritance in Christ, how much God loves us. I mean, my whole identity comes from reading and knowing and studying the Word of God. And if I read it but I don't obey it, the Bible says it's like I walk away from a mirror and forgot what I look like. So how many of you know part of your, the secret to knowing you know, who we are and walking with holy swagger is to be people of the book? you got to read the book. you got to meditate on the book. you got to study the book because it's a mirror that helps show me who I am and what God's called me to do. Isn't that good? So here's the deal. When we're born again, we receive a new identity. The old of the Bible says has passed away. All things have become new. We begin to see ourselves through the cross and see ourselves through the word of God. And there's some popular songs. I don't know how many of you love that new Lauren Daigle song uh, that talks about I am who you say I am. How many of you know that is the truth? I am who God says I am, and you are who God says you are. Whether we feel like it or not, whether it makes sense to us or not, God's word is true, and the more we meditate on who he says we are, the more we become our true selves and not a counterfeit. Seeing ourselves the way he sees us is vital to us fulfilling our purpose. So I'm going to give you a Kleenex alert right now. If you have a Kleenex handy, pull it out. I'm going to show you 20 seconds of a video. If you're not all bawling um, or at least fighting the emotion back, we're going to lay hands on you to resurrect you after the service. Um, but here's what I want you to do. As you watch this video, I want you to get in touch with what's going on inside of you, and then I want you to ask why, okay? Why am I feeling this? What's going on inside of me? Why am I experiencing the emotion that I'm experiencing right now? All right, let's run that video. That's all it takes. I'm going to be adopted. Incredible joy. A millisecond later, tears. And I watched that mother's expression. Oh my gosh, the heart of a mama reaching out, loving. I want to give you three things about God Almighty and his love that are foundational to our new identity. And the first one, I believe, is the most powerful, powerful, and man, you set me up, Eric and Felicia, most powerful demonstration of the Father's heart is the fact that God says he adopted us. 
Now, I want you to go to that first verse, if you would, Megan. For it was always in God's perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus, the anointed one, so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love that he has for his beloved one, Jesus, he has for us. I think we need to back up. For the same love God has for Jesus, God has for us. And this unfolding plan, listen, brings him great pleasure. Now, this is incredible. When a child is adopted, they are adopted by no effort of their own. The effort comes from the parents who choose to extend their love and to bring that child into their home. And listen, that that child is given the same legal rights, beneficiary rights, all that kind of stuff. That child is just like flesh and blood. God says it was his plan long ago. In fact, listen to this. It wasn't just a plan. It was a plan that brought him great joy and pleasure to choose you. Now, I just got to let this sink in. Inside the heart, if I asked you, why did you start bawling? Why were you choking back tears? Some of you, man, in 20 seconds, man, the tears running down your cheek. Why? Why, 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 why? Side note, if you're an animal that evolved over six gazillion billion years of mindless chance, you wouldn't be crying because you wouldn't care. Just a thought. Uh, Anyway, um, but you're created in the image and likeness of God. And when you see something like that, instantly emotion wells up within your heart. Why? I'll tell you why. Because every single one of us longs to be chosen. We long to hear that God wants us that God chooses us, that God didn't have to, there was no gun at God's head, that God willingly reached out and says, I choose to set my affection on you and to invite you into relationship with me. I choose you. In fact, the Bible's clear. We didn't choose God. The Bible's clear. God chose us. There's something incredible about being chosen. There's something incredible about being sought after, about being desired about being pursued. That's why fathers and wives, what is the one thing every woman as the bride of Christ wants from her husband? She wants to be pursued. She wants to be sought after. She wants to be called. She wants to be made much of. Why? Because in the heart of every woman and the heart of every bride is a desire to be chosen. And so when a man and woman stand here at the altar and they make covenant with one another and I look into the wife of my eyes and I ask her to be my wife and she says I do and we exchange vows and we exchange rings, there's something profoundly deep and mysterious and awesome that's happening at that very moment because inside her heart I'm saying out of everyone on this planet, every woman on this planet, I'm setting my affection on you. I choose you. That's called romance. That's called love. That's called the the longing to be chosen. And listen, inside every one of us is that desire 
that somebody would say, I choose to love you. I choose to be a spiritual mom or a spiritual dad to you. I choose to welcome you into our family as our own. And we've done that over the years to a number of people that have had hard situations. And I listen to me. The more we know we're adopted by God, the more we want to act like God. And that's why people like Eric and Felicia, you're, you're past the childbearing ages. You already had your family. You've already got grandbabies. But inside your heart, is the desire to bring all these little people into your household that don't have a mom and don't have a dad and don't have somebody to say, you're precious and you're valuable and I choose you to be in my household. That's why adoption is such a powerful, powerful picture of the heart of God because it's something we willfully, voluntarily do to express our affection on somebody else who's longing to be chosen by somebody. It is a powerful picture. And listen to me, God chose you. At the end of the day, when I, when I get before the Lord and I wonder, why do I know the Lord? Why, why have I had the blessing of a godly family? Why do I you know, experience some of the things that I've experienced? At the end of the day, when I push it all the way back, there's only one answer. It's because of the mercy and the kindness of God. I have no other explanation. And listen, the fact that you're here today, and I'm telling you that God's crazy about you, and that he adopted you, should fill your heart with such a sense of confidence. It should cause your head to to be lifted up and to know that you're somebody in God's sight. He has affectionately reached out and grabbed a hold of you and loved you to life, and he's never going to let go. Look at the next verse. This is incredible. You have been bought and paid for by Christ, so you belong to him. You know, there's something about marriage, again, and God's way, when, when we give each other, I don't, give my, I don't have a prenuptial agreement with my wife. In fact, prenuptial agreements should really be called pre-divorce agreements because what we're saying is there are parts of my life I can't trust you with, and I'm certainly not going to trust you with my money. If you can't trust a woman with money or you can't trust your husband with money, I'm just saying you're marrying the wrong person or you might have some trust issues. When we get married, I give all that I am to all that she is, and she gives all that she is to all that I am. In other words, we're bought and paid for with a price. We no longer belong to ourselves. We belong to the other. And many people don't experience the love of the Father because they've never, they have a prenuptial agreement with God. You signed a prenuptial agreement with God, and you're saying, I'm going to give you this much, but you're not touching these areas of my life. And then you wonder why you don't feel cherished and adored by God. It's because you've, you've, you've cordoned him off from certain parts of your life. Because for whatever reason, you just don't trust him. Or you believe a lie about him. You have to belong to him to experience the fullness of his love for you. And whether it's sexual intimacy between a man and a woman in marriage, you, you never experience the fullness of what God intended as long as there's areas in your life that you keep separate from your spouse. It's the same way with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been bought with a price that we belong to him. Let's go to the next verse, another. I'm just trying to encourage your heart. You have been chosen, the Bible says, by God himself. Wow. That's what it means to be adopted. But let's move on. Second point. We are accepted. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 15. It says, And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear 
of never being good enough. Can I just pause right here? The difference between a relationship with Jesus and religion is that spirit of religious duty. If I would go up to people on the street and I'd say, hey, are you a Christian? Are you, are you going to spend eternity with Jesus Christ when you die? Are you going to heaven? However we want to say it. What do most people say? They'll say like, well, I hope so. And then if you press them a little farther, you say, how do you know? And they'll say something like this. Well, I, I try to be a pretty good person. But let me tell you where that's going. What's pretty good? How do you know what's good enough? Well, I try to go to church every now and then. Okay, but is that enough? I try to read my Bible. Is that enough? Are you reading enough? I try to pray. Is that enough? I try to give. I drop something in the offering. Is that enough? Is that enough? How much is enough? How much is enough? What happens is you get on a hamster wheel of religious performance, and you run, 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 and you hope in the end it all works out. But here's the good news. You can get off the hamster wheel because God didn't give us a spirit of religious duty that leads us to a never-ending cycle of trying to be good enough. You have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. I said, when you get born again, you get a spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit, of full acceptance. Why is it that you're fully accepted? Because you do good enough? Because you run longer on the hamster wheel of religious performance? Why are you fully accepted? Because of what Jesus Christ has done on your behalf. There's only one sinless life. His name is Jesus. There's only one pure sacrifice. His name is Jesus. There's only one person who did anything enough before God. His name's Jesus. When I come to him and I say, Lord, come in and be my Savior, he says, thank you, bought and paid for. You are mine. Fully accepted. Fully accepted. And this is the radical thing. The God who knows you best in all of your weakness and sin and quirks and selfishness is the same God who loves you most. That is amazing. The one who knows me best loves me most. Isn't acceptance something we all long for from when we're in elementary school up, wanting to be in the right crowd, wanting to be in the group that accepts us, wanting people to like us for who we are, the way we dress. I mean, we spend all of our lives pursuing acceptance, and God says, you know what? I know you inside and out, and I love you, and I accept you for who you are because of my son. Let me ask you a tricky question here. If you have a bad week, does God accept you less? No, because it's not based on your performance. It's based on his son's performance. So he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Amen. And we can come back into right standing. But God's acceptance of you is, is settled because of what Christ has done on your behalf. If we could get this settled in our identity, God accepts me, I am his. I've been adopted into his family. What he began in me, he's gonna finish in me. It's his blood that's the basis of my right standing. He's the one that covers all my sin. God has already declared me just because of what Christ has done on my behalf. I am fully accepted and I'm part of an amazing family who's also fully accepted. And so guess what you get to do? When you realize you're fully accepted, then I can work at fully accepting you. How I many you know people that know that they're accepted? They do a really good job of loving other people. 
They're not the ones going, oh, you know, I don't like this about you, and you got this problem, and you got that problem, and I don't know about this. About you. you know, those are religious people. people. People who have been fully accepted by God, guess what they do? They love people. They, listen, they accept people even in their imperfection because they're secure in their love. See, I'm telling you that when you walk in your identity as a son or daughter of God, you carry yourself differently. You act differently in the world. There's something about your life that people go, you know, I don't know what it is about that guy, but uh, that's what they say. What is it? It's, it's Christ in you. It's, the way, it's your a new identity. It's the way that you live. Let me end with this one. The last one I want to hit on. We're adopted. We're accepted. Oh, I missed a couple of verses. Quick verses, quick verses. Pull them up there. Psalm 52, verse 8. Okay, there you go. Fully accepted by God. How about this one? His passion towards me is forever and ever. Say that with me. His passion towards me is forever and ever. Just one more time. His passion towards me is forever and ever. I'm going to ask you another trick question. You know, when you're married for a while, you go through ups and downs, and sometimes you feel in love, sometimes you don't feel in love. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is that the way it is in your relationship with God? Does God go like, bro, I am so over with you. <laughs> I'm just not feeling it today. Can you imagine God saying, that? you know, I'm just not feeling it today. You know, I was passionate about you last Sunday. You really were worshiping hard. But boy, then Monday came. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I'm just not feeling it. Do you know that in the emotional makeup of God, his love and his passion for you does not fluctuate at all? We act like, oh man, I had a bad week. We go, we go before God and he, we, we picture him in our mind. He's got this big stick and he's going tisk, 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 you know. <laughs> mm. But you know what? That's never how God is towards his sons and daughters. His passion, his passionate love toward you is forever and ever. Help me do with those evers and ever and ever and ever. So when you wake up tomorrow, how does God feel about you? He's crazy about you. When you wake up the next day, how does God feel about you? He's crazy about you. When you failed him and it made a big boo-boo, all right, and, uh, and you know that it's wrong and something blew up and, uh, and you're just, what happens when you come back into God's presence and you just say, Lord, just, you know, help, forgive me. His passion for you. See, we've been raised by imperfect parents. We've been, we're, we're, you know, where their love was contingent upon how we behave. You know, whether we took the trash out, we're all guilty of this, are we not? But God's love is not that way. It's passionate love for you forever and ever. And I'm going to close with this good news right here. I'm adopted. I'm accepted. And lastly, this is the best. I am adored. Now, I was just with some grandbabies and some little babies this weekend. And how many of you know something like psycho comes over people when they're around kids, little kids? <laughs> I mean, you could be a strong, masculine guy, but when you're holding a newborn in your arms, your voice goes up like five octaves, <laughs> and you start going, oh, you little spell, oh, smile, papa, oh, oh, God. You know, you're making all these weird faces, and what are you after? You're, like, every 
every ounce of love and adoration that can possibly come off of you onto this child's spirit. You're releasing it. And what are you after? You're after that little response from that new one, right? They, they, they smile with just half their lips like, or they cackle, you know, I love it when they're at the age when they just cackle, <laughs> they just go crazy. Um, what is that all about? What is it all about when, you're, when your little daughter, dad, comes out to you with the new dress she just got, you know, she walks out like this, and she's all coy. What is she after? I'll tell you what she's after, she's after adoration. She's wanting you to say, you are so beautiful. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, you're so beautiful. And then you see the smile, and what happens to their tongue? It goes right in their cheek. <laughs> that means I'm being loved like crazy, and I don't know how to handle it, but I like it. <laughs> Let me just tell you this. Guys, I'm helping you out. In your marriage, your wife wants to be adored. Look at what the Bible says here. Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 9. This is the man speaking to the woman. My dearest one, let me tell you how I see you. Look at what he says. You are so thrilling to me. Oh, what a great word. Who doesn't want to cause someone to be thrilled? When you walk into the presence of God, sir, and he looks at you, he says, I am absolutely thrilled to see you and to know you and to love you. You make my heart sing. That's what God says. You're thrilling to me. Isn't that awesome? It's great to be thrilling. When I tell my wife, I look her in the face and I say, honey, I love you so much. You make my heart come alive. In fact, I've told my wife, you, you help love me to life. I don't know what I would do without you. If I had to choose you all over again, I'd choose you all over again. You make my heart sing. When I say that to her, what goes on in her heart? What is it like to be thrilling to somebody? It's the most awesome feeling in the world. And listen to me. The heartbreak is how many people in this world have never been adored by anybody? How many little kids have never had anybody making over them like that? How many little, little children have never had a daddy's face saying, I love you, you're so precious to me, and, and being thrilled by who they are? See, this is what motivates me. Listen, when you know that you thrill the heart of God, guess what happens? You carry yourself like a son or daughter who wants to go look into somebody else's face and say, you know what, my relationship with you is thrilling to me. You're precious to me. I value you. And you love people. You love people closest to you. You love people in the body of Christ. You love people that you don't even know. You can even bring people into your own house through adoption that you don't know, but you're saying, I am going to display the radical, extravagant love of God because I have been thrilled to life by God who is thrilled over me. Go to the next verse. I'm wrapping up. Anybody getting anything out of this thing? I'm getting encouraged. I'm going to go love somebody after church. All right. Who, who's saying this? Who's saying this in Isaiah? God's saying this. Who's he saying it to? To his people. What does God say? You are precious to me. You are honored. And I love you. Here's what some of you need to do. You need to take this verse. You need to go somewhere quiet. You need to sit down. And you need to say, God... You think I'm precious. That means I'm precious. Help me to feel what precious feels like. 
Help me to feel the value that you place on me. God, you say that I'm honored. You hold me in a place of esteem. God, you say that you love me. God, help me to feel your extravagant love. That's what we do, because that's the truth about who you are. Last verse. This is what God says. Let me see your radiant face, and I want to hear the sweetness of your voice. How beautiful are your eyes of worship, and how lovely is your voice in prayer. You know what happens when we worship today? We started singing to the Lord. The Lord says, how beautiful are your eyes of worship. Because you know what we were doing? We were gazing upon the Lord. And you know what he does back to us? He says, your eyes are beautiful. Your voice is like music to my ears. There, it, there's, there's romance happening when, when the bride sings to the groom and, and, and we experience this amazing thing called worship. And I'll end with this. When you've been loved a life like this, it changes everything. And I want to read a great quote here in closing. There's something about a life of grace that marks us. Not only has God redeemed us by his tender mercy, not only does he strengthen us by the power of his grace, but this love, this power to rise above difficulty begins to define us. We carry ourselves, excuse me, we carry ourselves differently. We speak differently. We walk with ease through trials that normally would overwhelm us. This surging power of the Spirit lifts us high so we soar above temporary pain and pleasure. In other words, when you know how much you're loved, when you know you've been adopted, you're accepted, and you're adored, you hold your head up. You know who your daddy is. You know how precious you are. And you know what? People that have been loved to life do crazy awesome things for God because nothing's too great for somebody who's been forgiven of much and loved so greatly. What, what's the sacrifice in following Jesus? What's too hard? Hey, I'm going through some troubles right now, but that's okay. I'm not going through them by myself. I'm going through some challenges right now, but that's all right. I got a father who's got my back. He adores me. He loves my voice. He loves it when I bring these needs before him. He's thrilled over me. <laughs> this is so good. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. I'm going to close and just wish you all an amazing week. If we can ever help anybody, just give us a call here at the church. I know we got some folks that are new here and might have situations or needs. I just want to lay this out here. There might be some of you here that are visiting or, or you, maybe you've been visiting for some time, but you've never allowed yourself to be fully loved by God. And that comes by surrender. It just comes by saying, Lord, I give my life to you. And then all the promises and the affection of God get released upon your life. And I, I, there might be people here today that have just grown distant from God. We just want to pray with you. I want to invite our, our, our ministry team, our elders, our pastors to come to the stage here in front. And we're very informal here. But if you need prayer or you just need a hug or you need someone to stand with you or, or you need to experience in a deeper way the love of God or you just simply need to surrender today, we want to invite you. Come up here. There'll be a lot of nice people up front that just want to pray with you. But I'm going to pray. I'm going to dismiss you. The worship team is going to lead us in a song of praise. If you just want to hang for a little bit and worship the Lord, great. If you need to slip on out, please slip on out. But Lord, 
release by the power of your spirit an overflow, God, of your great heart and your great love and your great affection for every person in this room, God. May they know that you love them, that you're pursuing them, that you're calling them, that you're after them. And God, I just pray none of us would resist that great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's worship. If you need prayer, come on down. If you need to go, slip on out. Have an amazing week, all right? We love you.